This pre-recorded show furnished by Matthew Mattern. This is Unite and Heal America with your host, Matt Mattern. And I'm here with a special guest here today, Michael Barrett, a uh, former U.S. Marine. Michael's got an amazing bio. He's served the country for many years. He's now shifted to uh, doing some work on the home front with an organization called Working Wardrobes. He's a director there. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate you having me on. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what got you into the Marine Corps and, and then uh, what uh, your experiences were while serving in the Marines. Yeah, well, I have a background family-wise of uh, service in our nation's military. Both uh, My father is a retired Marine. Uh, my mother was a Marine. Um, uh, deep roots uh, uh, in our America's uh, military forces uh, in our family. So it was it was my call, of course. My dad and I joke about that. People think I was forced to join, but that's not the case. But I elected to join the, the United States Marine Corps, uh, one of the best decisions I think I've ever made in my life. I've had the honor and privilege to serve in our nation's military, as I like to refer to, wear the cloth of our nation in service to uh, the defense of the freedom of this great nation as a Marine. And I was fortunate to do so for uh, almost 21 years. And it was, a, it was an amazing journey that I found myself on the East Coast, the West Coast, overseas, combat deployments, uh, serving in different capacities of leadership, being a servant leader 100% throughout my career. And a lot of those intangibles that uh, are essentially my DNA, I've taken with me post-military service in the sector of, of work I'm doing now with the Working Wardrobes nonprofit, specifically the BetNet program. Well, I, I'm fascinated by part of the bio and that you were a drill sergeant and went to school for the drill sergeant. And we've all, you know, seen movies with the drill sergeant. And, uh, you know, you seem like such a nice guy. I mean, <laughs> I guess, you know, in a different role, you're, you're a little bit tougher. I, I was. And of course, I, I of course, as a Marine, I got to say it for any of the Marines listening, you know, the Army has drill sergeants. The Marine Corps has drill instructors. So it, I, oh, I got to okay. plug that one. Right. But I did. I, I, I had the, the honor of serving in that capacity. It's a special duty assignment in San Diego, California, as a Marine Corps drill instructor at the uh, Marine Corps Recruit Depot. It was an amazing tour. And even like I alluded to family roots, uh, I worked as a drill instructor in the same training battalion that my father in years previous was the battalion sergeant major in in second recruit training battalion. So he and I have got to share quite a bit throughout my military service and, and have aligned and shared a, a lot of similar experiences up to and including combat, unfortunate side of being combat wounded as well. Uh, but I love my time down there. Love my time, you know, effectively molding the future of the United States Marine Corps. Not many can say that, right? That you've got the opportunity to, to mold, if you will, and prepare the young men and women, in our case, men down there in San Diego, to take on the challenges of military service, specifically in this case, the Marine Corps, and carry forth all of the training uh, out into the fleet and, and be of service uh, wherever their path took them. How long did it take you to kind of get to that level where you were at uh, a drill instructor? See, I went down there. That ended up being my third duty station. I was a, a sergeant when I went down. So, you know, I'm around, I'm over eight years ish in the Marine Corps already, right? 
And, you know, I, I have that in my in my plan, if you will, uh, career plan, you know, 10 years or less, uh, I will be a Marine Corps drill instructor. It was written out. I wanted to do that. I wanted to be a part of that environment. And, you know, care for what you ask for, because it's some hard work. And uh, I think I joke now, I think my feet still hurt from that time frame. <laughs> but um but man, what what an opportunity uh, to, to be a part of something like that, right? Working alongside some amazing Marines from different specialties, job special, specialties from around the Marine Corps. Um, you know, you have infantrymen all the way to administration and everything in between. And here we are, united as one, training the future of the United States Marine Corps and having our hands in that. Um, and one thing we always enjoy is for the rest of our lives and the rest of our career, both, we're going to run into these young men and we're going to see them down the road as they've grown, matured, uh, professionally progressed. And I got to experience that. I still do. Just a few years ago, I was at a, a Marine Corps birthday ball in Las Vegas as a guest of honor. And one of my recruits was now a gunnery sergeant E7 years later. And he's a Marine in that unit. And he himself is already selected for the rank of first sergeant, a rank that I retired at, you know, and, uh -huh. You know, again, to be able to kind of come full circle and, you know, smile and joke and laugh about some of the early days to where he is today. And you can celebrate him and celebrate others just like him. And, and you know, to be a part of that is pretty special. Well, I would imagine they have uh, quite a, a challenging leadership gauntlet that you have to get to to uh, to be an instructor. And, you know, those of us who are who haven't served probably don't have a, a clue of what that's like. Uh, maybe you can clue us in because that's uh that's something that i think a lot of listeners be interested in and, and really have no sense of what what that like what it, that is like absolutely uh, you know for for the men and women that that uh, take on that special duty assignment and become marine corps drill instructors they themselves go back through training almost a feeling essentially especially in the beginning of drill instructor school feeling as if i'm back in boot camp once again and i've been in the marine corps Eight years, and I feel like a recruit again. Ish, a little bit, jokingly say that, but you know, it's pretty intense. It's an intense physically, mentally, emotionally, academically. Um, you're really put through a professional gauntlet because you're going to go across the street. We call it across the street into the trenches with the training companies, and you're going to be physically responsible for the lives of others and preparing and molding the future of the United States Marine Corps and all that that entails. And the training is, like I said, it's 13 weeks. It's almost like going to boot camp all over again. It's a fascinating experience, and not too many people have uh, have lived it. So it's uh, thank you for sharing that with us. Then uh, you did serve over in, in Iraq as well. And tell us a little bit about your experiences uh, serving over there. I did. Um, I, I was uh, fortunate to serve two combat deployments, combat theater of operations. And for me at that time frame was Iraq. Uh, I was there in 2004, um, not a good deployment. I, I actually, um, our, our Humvee was struck by an IED, a roadside bomb. Um, it hit us pretty bad, three of us, including myself, uh, se severely wounded and uh, resulted in being medevaced out of country. Uh, so our, our deployment, if you will, ended quickly. Uh, and off we went into uh you know, the medical realm for rehabilitation and recovery, uh, all of us striving to do our best to, you know, like any any military service member will tell you that, that experiences something like that. All you want to do 
is get back in the fight. All you want to do is get back with your troops, get back with your Marines, your soldiers, your sailors, whatever the case may be. Um, because that, that's where your heart is. That's where they are. That's where I want to be. And that certainly was a focus for me uh, throughout my time in, in, in medical recovery. Uh, I had to learn how to walk again. I got hit pretty bad. Uh, I had shrapnel ripped through my right leg, through the upper hip, hip thigh area, um, shattered my femur, severed my femoral artery, and then blew out behind my right knee. Um, nerve damage, burns. My eardrums are blown. It's bleeding out of both ears and several other areas of my right side of my body. Um, but I had an amazing, you know, group of Marines uh, that were there that, you know, I am where I am today because of them. I would not be sitting here talking to you if it were not for them. And these are young troops, right? Some of them we joked about, like, where, where were you last year, or a year and a half ago? I was still in high school worrying about finals and, you know, ha, 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 right? That kind of conversation. But here it is, these young men and women, now they're in the middle of combat operations and seeing something that is going to be, uh, they're going to carry with them mentally for the rest of their lives, seeing their brothers hurt, wounded, injured, uh, significantly, severely, but training instinctively kicked in. And, and, and like I said, I, I owe it all to them. You know, I am where I am today because of the Marines, first and foremost, there were boots on the ground on that scene where we were when we got hit, all the way to uh, an army medic. And I said, an army medic showed up after the bomb went off. They came to where we were. Our corpsman was treating the other uh, wounded Marines from my truck. All five of us were wounded. And an army medic uh, started working on myself. Um, it was a pretty sketchy scene. And uh, ultimately, the decision was made to uh, place my, my body on the hood of another Humvee inside of a, a spool of Constantine wire, barbed wire. So I basically picture your body laying inside of a nest of barbed wire. And I did. They plopped me right in the middle of it. Um, you know, the windshield was right here to my right. The front of the truck was immediately to my left. My lieutenant uh, was on the hood with me, J.C. Destry. And that Army medic um, who, man, I wish I knew his name. You could be him for all I know. I, I have no idea what this guy looks like, what his name is. But here he is on the hood of a Humvee with me, my lieutenant, we load the rest of our wounded into the trucks and boom, we now we're driving back to the camp. So we drive back to the camp, back through a village, back through a marketplace. So many opportunities to take on additional contact, fire, another ID possibly. You, I mean, you never know the what ifs are endless, but we make it back to the camp right into medical uh, shock trauma, uh, trauma platoon and they, they start working on us and I recall everything, you know, I was awake and refused morphine and I wanted to, to maintain a sense of clarity and my mouth still worked. I was still in charge as far as I was concerned. It didn't matter if I was wounded. And, uh, and you know, God bless those Marines, that, that Army medic, our corpsman, the rest of the team, uh, our EOD team, explosive ordnance team that was with us as well. We were a security element with EOD and, uh, and got us back to the camp safely. And then, you know, the medical journey uh, – took his course for the next from my clock is the day I was wounded to the day I re-enlisted was 533 days and I'd go through wow. a lot in between uh but I re-enlisted uh back in uh, in the desert doing pre-deployment workups and then I deployed with my marines back to Iraq again uh two years later so that's an amazing story well uh we're gonna go to break right now uh my guest Michael Barrett and this is the Unite and Heal America program. I'm Matt Matter on KBC 790. 
We'll be back with you in just one minute. You're back on Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern, and I've got uh, my special guest, Michael Barrett, U.S. Marine Corps drill instructor and Iraq veteran. Uh, You were just hearing uh, Michael share with us what uh, harrowing experience he had gone through when his Humvee blew up uh, over an explosive device in in Iraq. And I uh, wish the viewers could kind of see the picture of this Humvee. It's, I saw it uh, and it was literally like blown apart. I could, I could barely imagine that anybody survived this explosion. It was pretty incredible. So it's a miracle that you're here with us and glad to have you here. And maybe you can share with us a little bit about your road back to recovery after such a, an incredible uh, explosion and injuries that you suffered. Yeah, absolutely. i Forgot you had saw the vehicle, the truck that you saw. That was the fifth day <laughs> that we had that vehicle. We had just received it was early on stage one of the up armament of the Humvee vehicles. So if, if you saw a picture of what we were driving before, none of us, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. It would have ripped to us like Swiss cheese. We would have been, we would have been dead. But the truck was, uh, it took a beating. You can see, and anybody would, I agree with you a thousand percent. You look at that picture and you ask somebody, how many you think lived? Everybody would say, no way. But all five of us live, and it's just, it's a blessing in itself. It, it wasn't our turn to go. Um, we have a higher purpose to be here for a different path, and, and you know, certainly thankful for, for that. You know, the journey through uh, rehabilitation and, and recovery is, you know, it's an arduous process. It's challenging. It has its ups and downs. It's mentally uh, and emotionally, physically draining. Um, but I think for me personally, it was, I find myself to be very fortunate. You know, I had an amazing support system. Number one, that starts with obviously the Marines that were around me, uh, that our family, my medical staff, uh, the leadership there, as well as the commander of my unit really took care of me. Honestly, I, I just, I probably should have been medically retired based on the circumstances at hand and the injuries. But I was, I like to say professionally belligerent uh, and my time was not up. I'm not getting out. Uh, I refuse to accept that. I didn't want to hear it. And I said, we're going to get through this and I'm going to bust my tail to do so. And, and, it, and again, it was a lot of work. It was, I went through two hospitals. I, I was at home care. I, I lived on my couch at home. I couldn't walk up my own stairs. I had a pick line inserted for uh, infectious medicine to, to receive that for six months. My wife essentially became my doctor at home. She changed out the infectious uh, medication every six hours. That means she got up to check on me, to make sure I was good, changed out the IV and the bag and the whole nine in the middle of the night to make sure I was being taken care of. And, you know, uh, small things, a little, uh, some, some snacks right next to the couch because I couldn't, I wasn't really mobile, uh, you know, minimal, very slow. Um, but eventually I got to the point in, in and through and, and recovery, rehab, busting my tail, uh, the holes in my legs eventually got to a point to where the skin graft could take place and uh, plastic surgery was able to, to do their, their magic and, you know, remove skin from a portion of my leg and put it over the, the, the two large holes and my body accepted the new skin, which was awesome. And uh, I didn't have to go through that process again. And many veterans that have ever had a skin graft know that it's not a comfortable process. It's pretty painful. Um, and, I, and, and the healing began. And, you know, for me, it was like, how quick can I get into a, a pool? I, I can get in the swim tank, we call it, right? And I can start 
working on the muscle groups in my leg without the pounding of, of, of physical therapy, right? And I eventually got there and I really gained a lot of strength in my, in my lower limbs, uh, my hip, uh, and other, you know, portions of my body, which I became very, very weak. I mean, I was skinny, pale. I was like 145, 50 pounds and it was bad. I had friends that visited me in the hospital at one point, walk right past me as I was being wheeled. It's a true story. I was being wheeled to physical therapy and they, there they go. And they're like, was that, was that him? <laughs> they didn't even recognize me because I was, I was in pretty bad shape, but you know, we joke about it now. I, I am at a place in life where I can joke about it now. You know, sure, it's still a painful process in, in memories, but, you know, I'm comfortable, obviously, where I am now talking about it. And, but again, like all credit is to my family, the Marines, the, my medical team, the staff. I, I am where I am today because of them. My wife, 100%. I would not be where I am today without her. My success is due 100% to her. And she's still here. We've been together for 24 years, married for 22 years. And, uh, you know, like I say, it was a hard process. But again, I had an amazing team. My goals were lofty. They were high. Uh, retention, reenlistment, staying in the Marine Corps, concluding and making uh, and achieving a goal of retirement. Um, and I did. I actually passed a little bit over 20 years, but I eventually retired. <laughs> so then you uh, so you got back from that uh, tremendous set of injuries you suffered, and, and then you got back into active duty again and, and uh, went on another tour of duty. So uh, yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, second deployment, went back again in 2006, 2007. Um, you know, I, I wish I could say everybody came home, but they didn't. You know, it was a tough deployment. And, you know, we had some warriors with us and, and another IED uh, took three of our brothers in the same town, almost in the exact same spot that I got hit two years prior. That in itself is a little a little creepy, right, to be same town, same road, almost in the exact same spot. Two Marines survived, still in touch with those gentlemen, one a little bit more than the other, of course. But he and I, you know, as he would put it, he said, you and I share a grid square, right? A grid square in Iraq of what we share in life together. And I was like, yes, sir, we do. And uh, the deployment was, uh, it, it was a long one. We had some tough moments, some tough points. Um, but the Marines we had with us remained ever resilient. And while we wish we could have brought all of our brothers home, um, you know, the Marines, uh, we're steadfast and, and dedicated to the mission, worrying about and staying focused on the mission in the day at hand and, and continuing to keep freedom and the protection of it in the forefront um, while still challenging, challenged with adversity and, and all that comes with it, being in a combat theater of operations. Um, aside from the loss, uh, you know, it was a, a successful deployment and, you know, we all came home and then eventually everybody started to, you know, you go to a new duty station, you transition, you get a lot of the Marines exited service and went back, either stayed local or hometown USA and, and began their next chapter in life. But for me, I, when I got home, I transitioned and I moved on to another duty station. Looking back, uh, you know, from this perspective, having been involved in uh, multiple deployments and, and now seeing what's happening in Iraq now, you know, and we've reduced our presence down there to about 2,500 troops, from my understanding. Um, do you think that we should pull out or do you think we should stay uh, with that deployment or, or increase it? You know, I'm, I, I am and I'll always be 100 percent supportive of whomever our commander in chief is at the time uh, and or will be all of our professional leaders of military service and the decisions that they have strategically, operationally uh, around the globe. We certainly have all had conversations of potentially why are we here, right? I mean, you could probably go through every era of history and talk to a serviceman 
from their time and probably would have the same conversation to a point, right? But we support the big picture. We understand the why. I'd, I'd rather us always go forward into a, another arena than have to fight these battles here at home and in our society be it faced with such challenges. You know, some societies globally, they deal with combat element type stuff every day in their neighborhoods. And that's just the way of life. You know, we saw that a lot in the Middle East and it still goes on. It's sad to see that, right? You like to think that, you know, the footprints that you left were uh, all forward positive momentum in, in gaining of the positive change. And there certainly was. Absolutely, 100% certainly was. But uh, there's often times where it feels like you're, you know, three steps backwards, vice three steps forward, and the regression, vice the progression. And that, that in itself is frustrating. Yeah, certainly the the immediate uh, problems that you all experienced there must have been incredibly harrowing. But uh, yeah, you can look back at a lot of progress that you did make and, and good things that did happen. And, and hopefully the Iraq government and the people take and build upon some of the good work that was done and, yes, sir. you know, ousted uh, the ISIS primarily from their territory. I mean, there's still elements there, but, uh, you know, fortunately it's, it's less than it was a few years ago. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I focus on certain aspects of, especially, you know, the ultimate sacrifice is certainly not in vain. You know, we did do positive things. We did have effective change, you know, the big picture and the why and the understanding of, of that why, why we're here, et cetera, is something positive to focus on. And I like to think that, you know, again, regardless of frustrations and challenges and uncertainties, in the big picture, you still have made a positive impact here globally in the eyes of people around the world, um, you know, understanding and knowing that, you know, the United States military is here and will be here and will be of service to our allied nations should they call upon us and should they need us. And that is uh, going to be the case 100% all of the time. And I got to be a part of that. Right. Well, I mean, certainly our troops served very valiantly and have served and continue to serve valiantly in that theater as well as theaters around the world. And that uh, sends the right message to our friends and to our foes that uh, we are who we are and uh, take us seriously for sure. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be going to a break. My guest, Michael Barrett, U.S. Marine, and you're here listening to Unite and Heal America with Matt Matter on KABC 790. We're going to pivot when we come back with Michael to uh, the work that he's been doing stateside with Working Wardrobe. So when we get back, Michael Barrett. You are listening to Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern and my guest, uh, Michael Barrett, U.S. Marine, and and now working stateside with uh, Working Wardrobes. You're a director at that program, and uh, I'd love to hear more about your work there. I know that uh, lots of Armed Forces uh, personnel come back to the U.S. after having served, and unfortunately, a lot of them have struggled with various problems upon coming back and getting back into uh you know, the flow here. And my understanding is your organization works with them to help them kind of get reoriented. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'm the director of our VetNet program. It's a safety net for veterans here at Working Wardrobes in our Career Success Center in Santa Ana, California. And the Working Wardrobes VetNet program supports demographically the men, women, families of our military veterans and transitioning service members. You know, our objective is, you know, provision of a variety of workforce readiness services and programs. Of course, for us, it's always in an environment of uh, dignity and respect, and our team works to assist in each individual and or collective unit with a path to job opportunities, I should say a path to career success. So, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a bit of what we do here. Um, the VetNet program here at Working Wardrobes has been in place since 2012. Organizationally, we have been around for 30 years in Orange County. And, you know, we're of service to the veterans uh, and military families in our community. And we are here to do everything that we can to assist them um, with everything, overcoming barriers that they're currently facing, you know, such as unemployment, homelessness, you know, our VetNet program it has a Department of Labor grant. It is uh, referred to as HVRP, Homeless Veteran Reintegration Program, assisting veterans that are homeless or at risk of homelessness, getting them trained, getting them off the street, assisting them in navigating toward placement in permanent housing, and all of the in-between career readiness services that we're going to provide to them from touching up or creating a new resume, uh, job search, job leads, physically shoulder to shoulder at a computer, working with our VetNet job developer and our career navigation team and helping them with training, working on soft skills, hard skills, connecting with our job coaches. A big piece of what we do is in the name too, right? Working wardrobes. We are pretty unique in the, in the county here. We provide professional wardrobe to our clients. And when they reach a point after going through the programs and the training, they are paired with a personal shopper, right? Our own in little Neiman Marcus feel, right? And they're paired up and our ladies and gentlemen receive professional wardrobe, head to toe, as I like to call, suited and booted, dressed for success, ready to attack that interview and sit before a potential uh, and or future employer and achieve and attain career success. And, the, and we're a part of changing that mentally, emotionally, physically, and, and getting them to that point. And they walk out with a brand new suit. And again, all of our services, I should have said this from the get-go, is 100% free to our veterans. They don't pay that's, for anything. 100% That's amazing. Free. Yeah. It sounds like a great set of services. And I was just curious as to how many vets is your organization working with, say, in an average year? Pandemic year 2020, right? So many challenges, we could probably need more time. But, you know, we had some pretty significant success even during a pandemic with all that that faced. On average, we're, we're serving as an organization, you know, around 5,000 or more annually, VetNet in general. And that's between all four of our programs. We have a VetNet program, CSI, which is our Career Success Institute, serving our civilian contingent component, uh, CSEP, which is our 55 and older demographic with training and, and placement a much slower paced workforce with that age group and or older and our re-entry to success, serving those that are previously justice involved, reducing recidivism, doing our part to get them back into society successfully and not repeating patterns, if you will. And all the way down to VetNet, as I mentioned, working with transitioning servicemen and women, spouses, veterans of all era, uh, anytime. We've had a from Vietnam, we had one World War II veteran with us one time. God bless him. He was awesome. It was like sitting inside of a history channel and just listening to him talk. It was awesome. It was great, great moments in time. But we, you know, we have all of this, all of these opportunities that we provide. And, and 
You know, our, our goals are lofty. We look to be of service to as many veterans as physically possible within the core competencies of what our organization provides. And I feel that we've been extremely successful in doing so, even at the, the onset of a pandemic. And as you may know already, just prior to the pandemic in 2020, working wardrobes organization and facility burned to the ground from a fire. We lost everything, gone. Super Bowl Sunday one year ago. We lost everything that day. That was on a Sunday. If I may, I, I, I love to share this is Monday morning, our team convened at a board member's office here in Orange County. And we sat there collectively with the leadership that we have, Ms. Jerry Rosen, our CEO and founder. She stood before the collective group and said, today we begin to rebuild. When the latter easily could have been, it's been a great ride. I love having all of you on board, but we're shutting the doors. That's it. Because we just lost everything. Quite the opposite. We began to work and rebuild the very next day. We were remote. We were without assets. We had essentially nothing. Community partners and organizations that came together to really support us. We were spread throughout the county, still supporting. Our base of clients didn't change. They didn't go anywhere. They still needed us. And we are still going to be of service to them, regardless of the challenge and adversity we're facing at the time. And I tell you what, we continue to work and we continue to uh, put our heads down. And what a resilient staff and team to get us to the point where we reopened in June. Okay, this happened February, June, reopened our donation center in Irvine. And they're, they're doing amazing work right now as we speak. And then where I am today, sitting inside of our new career success center here in Santa Ana, reopened just two months later, maybe less than two months later. And here we are now, still providing service, still supporting our community, still supporting and being of service to those in need. Well, that's a, that's a great story. And uh, certainly your Marine training has uh, served you well in dealing with uh, difficult circumstances and taking, uh, taking the lemons and turning them into lemonade. So how does your organization kind of engage in outreach to, to find the veterans in need so that you can help them out? Yeah, it's a great question. On, on my team, I have an outreach specialist. However, all of us essentially wear that hat proudly. And we use as many tools in our toolbox that we have readily available. All things social platforms, uh, exercising outreach to a, a mass audience instantly via social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, etc. Also interfacing with community partners, organizations throughout Orange County from, you know, even as far up as Long Beach, touching base and chatting with folks in Los Angeles, San Diego, tapping into and reminding folks who we are, what we do, and most importantly, who we do it for. Going out to and meeting with the, sh the staff at shelters, working and communicating with the Department of Veterans Affairs that are uh, assisting veterans through the HUD bash process and assisting that path with uh, getting back permanent placement and remaining readily available, right? Branding, marketing, in every capacity that's physically uh, possible and, uh, and, and allowed, and, and really reminding folks that we're still here. And this is what we can do. This is what we will do. And not just doing it verbally, but we're going to do it and show it through action perform. Tell our listeners uh, how they should be contacting you or how they can contact you and, and what types of services that both for veterans and, and non-veterans uh, listening could reach out to your organization. Yes, sir. I mean, always start with our website, uh, www.workingwardrobes.org, O-R-G. Our mainline telephone is 
888-242-2460. We are a Monday through Friday operation, 8.30 to 5 p.m. And uh, our services uh, are readily available to, as I mentioned just a moment ago, of course, all veterans, newly transitioning, soon to be transitioning, veterans of all eras and ages. We have our re-entry to success in serving those that are justice involved and faced with those challenges. Our CSEP program, uh, serving our 55 and older demographic and CSI, Career Success Institute, uh, which is our a civilian contingent. Four pillar programs being of service uh, to our population. We have a donation center. We have hangar boutiques and our hangar store outlet stores where we take some of our items and place them for resale. At a, It is extremely nice. We shop and wear this stuff ourselves, but it's at a much more affordable rate. And that helps us you know, resupply and keep the monies and keep our doors open in addition to needing, of course, support from the community, getting engaged and involved with our campaigns and programs, helping sponsor or fundraise and get involved and get engaged. That really allows us collectively to keep our doors open and continue to be of service. We can't do it without you. Well, uh, definitely, uh, that's that's something that I'd like you to talk about in terms of uh, ways that people can uh, donate their time, uh, as well as, uh, obviously, resources. You mentioned clothing, money, whatever it is. What are the ways that people can contribute? Uh, we've got about uh, 30 seconds before we go to break, and uh, I'll let you... Uh, kind of just hit the audience with how they should be looking to contribute to this great organization. Go to our website. There's opportunities for internships with our organization. There's opportunities to get involved in volunteerism, um, support and donate lightly used or new on hangers uh, to our donation center and allow us to repurpose those professional items back to the clients that we serve. Again, to our website, you can look at the campaigns and uh, fundraising opportunities where you can engage and get involved directly yourselves. Donate. Uh, I mean, 50 cents a dollar to however high you're allowable you can afford is is certainly appreciated. And, um, you know, never hesitate to reach out to our team. Call us. How can we CSR days working with employers and other companies? Join us. Get engaged with us. I guarantee you the time will be well spent and it's, it will be something you'll remember for the rest of your life. Well, thank you uh, for that, Michael. I really appreciate the work that uh, Working Wardrobes is doing. Um, this is Matt Mattern. You're listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. We're going to be back in just a minute and talk further with uh, Michael Barrett, former U.S. Marine and now director at Working Wardrobes down here in Orange County. Great work that's being done. We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern, KABC 790. My guest today is Michael Barrett, former U.S. Marine, also uh, now working stateside with uh, Working Wardrobes, an organization based in Orange County that has done a lot of great work, and Michael's been talking with us about that. I wanted to uh, pivot a little bit to an issue that uh, I've been working on, which is a, a bill to help house homeless people and giving a stipend to families and organizations that take in homeless individuals. So it's a, a benefit for, for the community to, to help people find homes. And, and the, um, it's kind of similar to the foster care system where people take in young children and, and they get uh, some 
money for doing it, but it's a benefit to obviously to our community to help people be housed. And so wanted to uh, to float that idea by you and get your thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, good on you, Matt. Big salute to you, sir. I think that heart and minds are in the right place with that. Our nation across the board, you know, is faced with with homelessness and, and all that, that that entails here in Southern California. We have a very large footprint, especially Los Angeles, but we certainly have that down here in Orange County as well. We see it every day. You know, uh, city officials, county, state, you know, et cetera, across the board, you know, I know as of late have made over this last year, I like to speak to it because I saw it physically come to fruition. Finally, you look at from uh, the veteran homeless population, um, they opened up two veterans villages here in Orange County. Uh, one is the Santa Ana Veterans Village known as Heroes Landing. Previously homeless veterans now inside of a, I believe it's a 75 bed facility. It is a beautiful facility. It's not, I hate to say facility, it's like apartments. And I'd love to live there if I could. I mean, it's, it's an amazing amenity, but the placement is supportive based in, um, you know, their, their status, veteran status, their, their, their economic status. And, and as far as, you know, it doesn't matter. You have to make this much to live here or you can't No, they, they make it work and they balance it and bring balance, I should say, to the lives of those veterans and taking them off the streets and putting them into permanent housing. Uh, and the other was opened up not too long after. Uh, in Placentia, right outside next to Anaheim, right? Placentia Veterans Village, an amazing facility in itself. Please, uh, listeners, Google it, look it up, take a peek at it. You're going to love it. Uh, and I can tell you, I, I was just there and my team was there the last two days at, at the Santa Ana Veterans Village Heroes Landing. We had some monies that we applied for via grant and were awarded $10,000. Our VetNet program chose to use every cent $10,000 to address food insecurities for our homeless veterans, our, our veterans and military families. And we were at the facility. And in two days time after we were able to get as many as we could, we had 59 veterans that we were able to physically hand a $100 grocery gift card to, to assist them with addressing some potential food insecurities that they were currently facing. And I'm still doing that. I still have some cards left and um, I have a hundred in total. And I'm so proud to speak about that because you know, it's not just a gift card. You know, you're putting food in a refrigerator that you know you didn't have. You're putting food on a table that you potentially weren't going to have. You know, addressing directly some uh, challenges with food insecurities and making a positive impact. And we've been doing that over the last several weeks. And not just ourselves. We've called upon our community partners, right? Do you have veterans you're working with that are facing the same challenge? Let's collaborate. Right? We are 100% about collaboration, not competition. If we can help, let's work together. And that's just an example in, uh, of what we've been doing. That's a great program. And uh, I know we've worked with an organization that uh, called Food Finders, and they, they do work in both Orange County and L.A. County. And, and they try to help distribute food that would have gone to waste to many organizations. And I don't know if you've worked with them before, but uh, I know they do some great work. They do. I've, I've, I've heard of them. Absolutely. And again, if somebody's faced with a challenge and, and they get a phone call or an email or a word of mouth and say, hey, come by tomorrow and this is what you're going to get. You immediately added some positivity to their life, keeping them more on a positive path and falling you know, backwards to a negative path. And having that level of impact is pretty uh, it, it, it's pretty amazing. 
how do you coordinate your work with the, the Veterans Affairs uh, Bureau? And Because obviously you're a private organization and, and the federal government uh, has a lot more resources, but you're probably a little bit more nimble in, in addressing these problems. Lack of a better term, not as much bureaucracy and red tape. I'm probably spot on with that one, right? I mean, you have a bit more autonomy to do what you want, how you want. And you can see usually in the 100 percentile in this type of environment, you're able to achieve exactly what you want to do because of, you know, you don't have the same barriers that you're faced with that some other entities in government may present. Right. And uh, our impact is easily or easily achievable um, directly than having to go to navigate through some other sidebar red tape, et cetera. But working with and communicating with the Department of Veterans Affairs, such as here in Santa Ana, the VA, uh, CRRC, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, for those that are working through uh, application to HUD bash permanent placement, addressing uh, you know permanent housing placement um, is a big proponent of what we're doing here with the VA. Um, prior to the pandemic, my team would drive up to the Long Beach VA and meet uh, in Building 50. It was right up behind the hospital, and we would present our programs and, and opportunities to the veterans that were cycling through the hospital, letting them know well part of outreach that, hey, we're here, and this is how we can work and support one another to address everything, homelessness, underemployment, unemployment, you know, uh, food, et cetera. Well, I know uh, Judge uh, David Carter down there in in, uh, federal court judge in Santa Ana has visited some of the homeless encampments and has uh, kind of made some orders to to, uh, make progress on that. And I don't know if any of that work had touched upon things that you're working with, with your organization, Working Wardrobes. Oh, we're not physically you know, in that capacity, we're not. They're usually at a, a few stages past that by the time they arrive to us. But I have a portion of my vet net team we have uh, is contracted to uh, Orange County Healthcare Agency through uh, OC for Vet Program, Veteran Behavioral Health. But my team there and, and a little bit of my team here, obviously, work very closely with county programs who are that initial contact boots on the ground. At times, uh, a portion of my team does work hand in hand when it is a veteran in need in assisting that team from the county side uh, in navigating in support of that veteran. Because again, my team is all veterans. So we are of the same cloth, speak the same languages, understand the challenges of, of how to assist them with potential barriers faced. And, you know, in that capacity is how we really leverage our partnerships and relationships all in the best interest of serving those in the community in need. Well, I know that a lot of veterans have have suffered mental health issues coming back from theaters of war. And um, what role is is your organization playing in in helping those uh, veterans navigate those those very challenging circumstances? A- absolutely, uh, everybody comes with their own path in life and a heavy bag, if you will, to carry. First and foremost, we remind them that it's free of judgment. Here, we don't judge anybody, and we let them know. They are not alone. And I think most importantly of all, it's okay to ask for help. And sometimes it's, uh, you know, the experiential learning, shared learning. We, we are open up a little bit and, and, you know, the relatable experience is very powerful. We let them know. I too have been. I've had, you know, teammates themselves that were previously homeless post-military service. And this is how they navigated, right? Remind mm-hmm. them and present them with positive opportunities to change their current circumstance. But reminding them that, I'm not just handing this to you and telling you to figure out, I am going to be on this journey with you. We will be on this journey with you the entire time, guiding you, but you're going to lead us. Empowerment at the same time. You know, 
we remind them uh, all of the above there, and we do our best to support those that are in need, connecting to clinical services, behavioral health, substance abuse, you know, anything that may be justice involved, et cetera, to really help them overcome, you know, any barrier faced really, uh, so they can come out on the back end positively. Well, I would imagine it's particularly difficult for for people who are who are combat veterans or kind of tough individuals to to reach out and uh, ask for help. So I would imagine you've got your hands full doing that. Yeah, I, I, I smile. Not that it, it's not funny. It's not. I smile because I, I was that guy. I was I was like, I don't need anybody's help. I don't I'm not going to ask for anybody help. You know, stigmas. You're going to think I'm weak or, or, or I can't you know, I'm a man. I can't you know, the alpha male. I, I can't take care of myself. And all that nonsense is, is what it is. You know, and sometimes it takes a conversation or two with someone of like mind and shared experience to really get them to see a different uh, perspective, open their eyes, open up a, a new door that they may not have uh, really uh, known was there or trusted. And we build that through conversation, positive motivational interviewing and relationship building. And we get to a point where they didn't take that positive step forward and they receive the service and support that they need to come out positively. Well, uh, Michael, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. It's, uh, you've been listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. I'm Matt Mattern, and, and our guest was Michael Barrett, former U.S. Marine from Working Wardrobes. Uh, looking forward to uh, having all of you listeners back next week. Have a great week. This pre-recorded show furnished by Matthew Mattern.